Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Here we are sitting on a series, and I am really excited for this uh, today. We're in a year-long look at the rhythms of the kingdom of God, which I don't know if you realize this, but our world is constantly trying to put us into the rhythms of the world. I mean, we see this when when uh, when David or Daniel, uh, they were new given new names, right? We got uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were forced into slavery and given this whole new rhythm of life. This is something that we dive in with and we struggle with daily. And so we really wanted a whole year where we say, what is the pace, the way, the rhythm of the kingdom of God? And we split it up into 12 different ways and uh, over 12 months. And so we, we tackled fasting, this, this idea of, of petitioning to the Lord, of, of, of discipline, of, of really hungering, growing our faith in the Lord by just choosing to be needy in the Lord. And then this one is the theme, the, the rhythm of breaking bread. Which if you sat with us, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread and he said, this, what I'm setting up right now is going to be a lasting ordinance that I want you to do. And, and I, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And we've tackled this. That this is not some tradition that we do. This is a life, a way of life. And so we've been diving into this, that, that community is at the core of the Lord's Supper, community. And so when Paul says, you are eating, but you are not eating the Lord's Supper, I just was challenged, like, how many times have I ate that little cup and that little cracker, and because my heart is not in unison with my neighbor, I'm actually not eating the Lord's Supper, which is what Paul says. You are eating this, but not even noticing. You're feeding yourself while the poor, while the people around you are not even considered in your heart. So he says, consider your body, the body of Christ. And so we've done this. We've tackled it. If you were here last week, uh, it is on the podcast. If you didn't, if you missed it, we sat just in the bread. And I had a, a nice little visual. I had had two little loaves of bread with me. And this week, obviously, communion, the Lord's Supper, takes up to two different things. It's not just the bread, but it's also the blood. And so I, I preached this last week, but I'm going to start here again. Scripture says in Corinthians that we proclaim, Paul says, a Christ who's crucified. And that is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it is pure foolishness to the Gentiles. This is a stumbling block, this idea of a Savior who died, a Savior who gave it all up, a Savior who, who came and he hung on a cross. It is pure foolishness to the world who just wants signs. It is foolishness to the world who wants wisdom and then we tackled the bread, but now we get to tackle the body or the, the blood, the cup. Now, I think we all agree, if you've grown up in church at all, 
there's the power in the blood, right? There's power in the blood of Jesus. And we, some of you have known your, your grandparents say, I pray the blood over you. I plead the blood over you. Some of you in, in traditions, uh, you sang that there's, there's power in the blood. And so my wonders work in power, right? Mighty work, all this. And so we got all the songs. There's forgiveness, newness. But it's interesting, as we get into this today, there's also foolishness that people have regarding the blood. It's a stumbling block, the blood of Jesus. It is still considered confusing. And so we're going to dive into this because Paul does not just say it is foolishness. It, it is a stumbling block, but he continues. If you put that next slide up, that verse 24, it says, but to those who are called, Christ is the power of God. The death of Jesus is the wisdom of God. You see, if you sit with me today, I believe that this message of the blood, you will come and see the power of God, the wisdom of God. If you sit with me today, uh, and the wisdom is gained as we sit and actually say, okay, Jesus, what does this mean that your life was given, your blood was shed? That is where our authority comes into play. It's not just that like, he died and so now we are free, but he died and now we are free to live abundantly, to, to exercise his dominion on this world, like to be his hands and feet, to uh, loosen what he would loose, to bind what he would bind. And so we're going to sit in this a little bit, but I do want to say as I was praying over this sermon, three groups of people came into my mind. Okay, and I just want to do this little caveat. I don't know who you are, all right? I, some of you I know really well. Others of you are maybe new, stepping in for the first time. But as I prayed over this message of the blood of Christ, three groups of people came to my mind. And so I just want to separate them, let you know. Maybe you don't fit into any of these. You can be praying for one who does, okay? Uh, but three groups of people. That doesn't mean that if you're not one, you can sit out in this message, okay? The blood of Jesus is still, like, it's huge, right, for all of us. But these three people came to my mind, and so to the first, if I can just define it, it is the one, the heart that is chasing after Jesus. If you put that up, it is the heart that's chasing after Jesus. And what I, I italicize the word chasing, because there's a tendency in our Christian faith to fear godly sorrow so much, to fear our past, that we begin to separate and, and I, I just had a heart, like the, the Lord broke my heart for people who chase Jesus out of fear of who they are without him. Does this make sense? Uh, who constantly, if I don't think of Jesus, my mind will spiral in who I am. The blood of Christ will provide freedom to the heart that is italicized chasing after Jesus. Because the person I'm talking about, the group of people, are the ones who are abandoning anxieties instead of casting their anxieties. Does that make sense? You know, like some of us, we want to run away from the bad day, but the Lord's like, let me just like sit with you in it and shift your perception of it. The blood of Jesus will free you. I, I wrote this down, like the power of the blood today is going to free for someone to no longer run from the sin of their past, to, to recognize Jesus in them. Not to run from the shame of their past, but to say, shame, go. 
The wisdom of God today is going to set someone free from anxiety because they're going to stop thinking that their anxiety means that they are messed up. And they're going to start realizing that their anxiety is more opportunity for them to just trust the Lord. It has no point of their identity. The blood of Jesus. I wrote this. There's a heart that's chasing after Jesus, chasing italicized, that is going to be freed to rest with Jesus from the blood of Jesus. Where scripture says, cling to me, He's not saying cling to me out of fear of what you would be without me. For you are never separated from the love of God. No heights, no depths. So the power of the blood today is to that group, the heart chasing after Jesus. Another one, a second one, is the heart that feels powerless in the same struggle. Anyone ever feel that way? And just in the same struggle. I was in the same struggle then. Or maybe it's not even, I don't even have to say a sin pattern as in these, these height of sins, you know, taboo sins. Sometimes it's even, anyone ever feel just the same struggle of doubt and it's like seasonal for you? Or the same struggle of passivity? The power of the blood frees us out of the pattern of passivity. And I'm just really excited to dive into this. Like the power of the blood, I believe it's going to embolden some of you in your faith as we dive into this, that Jesus, when he literally says, this is my body given for you, we dove into that last week, but my blood shed for you, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. There is some wisdom that the Lord is wanting to depart. And James says it, he makes it very clear. It's okay if anyone lacks wisdom, but let him ask God who gives it generously. You see, you're not lacking anything. But sometimes we lack wisdom, right? We do. We lack understanding of what God has done. So I'm just, to those two right there, I believe the Lord is going to impart on you some wisdom of what he's already done so that you can stand in what you are called to do. And then to the last one, this is very practical. This is to the heart that is overthinking. And uh, if you've been with us at Glory Church, we are trying to not just have rhythms, but to then do them. And so each month we'll have a challenge with it. This rhythm of breaking bread was a challenge of, hey, what if you actually decided to host a meal in your house where the gospel was the center focus? So like, you don't just invite your friends over, but maybe that neighbor down the street and you host a meal, you actually be hospitable and open your home to them. And I just, this is very practical. Uh, Anyone else start overthinking from that? You're like, how do I like practically um, talk to my neighbor? And then are they going to think that the only reason I invited them here is because my church is forcing me to instead of I want to? Some of you are overthinking, you're spiraling, and you're like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to do it out of a false reason. And so to the heart that's been overthinking this, the power of the blood is going to free you to realize that it is just like the man who said, I don't know, but what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. And some of you are going to start having a hosting, you're a table, and you're going to say, I don't know, but what I do know is that the blood of Jesus has, and fill in the blank, it's so... I'm excited for some bolding today. Sound good? We're going to dive into this. I actually just want to pause and pray over it, and then we're going to literally hear the words of Jesus as he first 
poured that cup. Sound good? Father, in this place, I pray for the group that is chasing after your goodness, struggling to believe that it actually transformed and transforms them. Got to pray for the heart that, that fears that if they do not think of you consistently, that their mind is just going to travel in what they fear. Holy Spirit, you have freed them if they are in Jesus. So God, I pray for the group of people who are, who are, who are struggling from fear. I pray for the group who is, who's, who's battling that same sin pattern. And no matter how many times they seem to try to give it up, it just keeps coming back. Holy Spirit, would you, through the power of your blood, give us wisdom today. Wisdom. The ability to see as you see. So that we can start speaking as you speak so that we can start loving as you love. And Holy Spirit, I just pray against overthinking as we dive into like, how do we actually be your body, your hands on our streets and our neighbors to our neighbor, our literal person who living, who's living next to us. So Father God, be present in this place. May the words of my mouth as we open up your word, my, the meditation of my heart, let it be pleasing to you, Jesus. Amen. And so Luke chapter 22, it says, I mean, this is the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed. And verse 20, it says, and likewise, he took the cup after the bread and after they had eaten. And he says, this cup is poured out for you. And it is the new covenant in my blood. Matthew adds a little bit different, and I'm really, I'm really excited to bring a little Matthew's edition into this as well. Uh, it is in Matthew, uh, can you put that up? I, I know it's verse 27, 20, Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, and Matthew writes it this way, then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples, and he said, hey, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out from many, and then Matthew adds, for the forgiveness of sins. And it's a beautiful imagery. And so to just encapsulate all these two things, whenever you're reading scripture and words come out at you and they stick out, maybe write them down, highlight them, and then start having a conversation with them. So as I read these first two, here's some of the ones that stood out to me. The word cup, the word poured out, or wine. Maybe just the imagery of what is literally in the cup, wine poured out this new covenant that is worded. The word in blood stood out to me. Not just blood, but in blood. It's a new covenant that's in blood. And then the word forgiveness. More specifically, the forgiveness of sins as a whole. It's this beautiful imagery. During a small group, my wife, uh, my wife just throws out these truth bombs that just are just golden. And during small group this last week, we were talking about the bread, naturally, because that's what the last week's sermon was. And the question was posed, why the bread? And my wife just, just very practically, because it was accessible. And she began to say that she's learning in Levitical law, like God was okay if someone was poor and in poverty and they did not have a lamb to sacrifice, God was okay for them to make a, a, a cake out of flour and water that they could offer as a sacrifice simply because God wanted them to have a heart of sacrifice, not like to be the richest. 
And very specifically, why wine? Because it was accessible. Literally every home, at every table, in every place would always be wine. It's not something you would just drink over on Passover. It's not a fancy meal. He didn't say, here's this steak, and the steak is my body. Do this in remembrance of me, or this, this expensive whatever, fill in the blank. It's just wine. It was more common than water because it wouldn't make you sick. Water could have some crazy things that make you sick. Wine. But there's other things, and we'll get into this. It's obviously living, and we'll hit back on the wine next. But then this word poured out stands out. That word poured out, this phrase, is never actually mentioned when you talk about a liquid being poured out of a, of like a vase or a glass. It really means blood being shed. It's what happens when you stab yourself or get cut and blood comes out. It is never, yeah, no one's stabbing themselves. Don't do that. That was a bad, bad metaphor, bad image. It's what happens when you bleed, not pour something out. And so Jesus literally is saying this as I'm pouring this. He's already making them think about sacrifices happening. There's blood being shed. And then it continues, it's in covenant. It's a covenant in blood. The word covenant is a, means promise, a treaty, a, a testament, a will between two parties. And then the word in is this marker of location that God's promise for us is located in his blood. That if we're struggling to know who Jesus is, we just look at his blood. This, the fact that he said, all authority has been given to me, but I'm going to set it to the side and become obedient to death death on a cross. My bloodshed is going to be the the literal remedy for all of sin. You want to look at, at, at true beauty, true love, it is in the blood of Christ. His promise is in blood. But not only there, that, Jesus is using this word new covenant today. So I'm going to get a little like biblical with you. Those of you who love like to study the Bible, we're going to actually look at this new covenant word because uh, to us, we're like, cool, covenant. But to the ones, the men who are sitting at that table, the word covenant instantly reminded them of every covenant that went before. And when Jesus uses the word new, now it's like this is a covenant that is going to trump that covenant. This is something that is new, but it's really interesting. Our God is the same God he was. So there's aspects of the old covenants that showcase God's character that beautifully shine what this new covenant's going to be all about. You ready? We're going to dive into this because this word covenant is really interesting. Uh, and as we look at this, all the old covenants, um, what we're going to get out and about is as you eat and mend, the one thing you're going to know is my faith is not an external faith, right? It's not just this outside thing that, that, that pushes me to have behavior modifications, right? Our faith is an internal faith that flows out. It is something that God has shifted and changed my heart. And now I don't do things to make you think I'm different or changed. I do things because my heart wants to do them, right? Like he has shifted me. And so you will see this, this shift. Old Testament covenants, promises are all external. They are. They offer external things that keep God's presence, his character, his name, his calling going. 
then you look at what Jesus did is he brings this internal promise that keeps our life going. He offers eternal life. And it's really beautiful. I'm just going to separate that as we give into it. But the most thought of covenant, when you look at the literal day Jesus is, is going through, is the Passover covenant. The covenant that was given from Moses uh, at the time. And so it's the Mosaic covenant, the Passover, uh, which is what Jesus and the disciples were celebrating when Jesus says, hey, this is my blood. This is my blood. It's what Jesus and the disciples were celebrating. And what is really cool is if you know the story, uh, they were trapped in Egypt as slaves, and God said, hey, let my people go. You know, this is a very quick, like, little synopsis. If you don't know the story, I'm sorry. We will get into this a different day. But Jesus, uh, God through Moses is saying, let my people go. You're stuck in slavery. And Pharaoh's saying, no. The king is saying, no, over and over. And so plagues come. And finally, the last plague, if you know, is the saddest of them all, that the firstborn boy of every family in the country of Egypt are going to be killed. But he says, this is my covenant to you. If you take the blood of an animal and put it on your door, cover your door with it, the Holy Spirit that night will pass over your home Everyone inside the home will be safe, but those on the outside will experience death. And it's really heavy, and it's really hard. But now what they are celebrating this day is the idea of blood covering something external, okay? I'm saying that so that you can already have it in your mind. Blood covering something external. But let's go to the first covenant. This is a really cool one. We're going to get a little nerdy on this one. The first covenant is the Abraham covenant. All right? Uh, We can even call it the Abrahamic covenant. Um, It's the very first one. And like the time of Moses, it would be an external promise. And you're like, why are we talking about all this? I promise you there's a reason. Okay? promise you there's a reason. God is talking to Abraham, and he comes to him, and it's actually, if you want to write it down, it's in Genesis 15. This scripture says that the word of the Lord came into Abram at the time in a vision, and God says, don't be afraid, Abram. Like, that's what the scriptures start off with, don't be afraid, and he very specifically says, I am your shield, and I've got promises. There's a reward that is great for you. There's going to be family for you. And then if you know anything about Abram, sorry, this is starting at verse 5, but I'm, I'm giving you verses 1 through 5, a little, little synopsis. If you know anything about Abram, he's an, of old age and he doesn't have any children. And he's like, how is my reward great when, God, you haven't given me any children? How is my reward great when nothing, like, I die and my line dies? And God says, I will give you an heir. My promise is look at the heavens, look at the stars. The number that you see up there will be, I mean, your offspring will be greater. Like quite literally, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he made this beautiful promise and it's in, in, he's like, but God, how? And I love that God like operates with his like fears and he just keeps saying, you know, it will happen and it'll happen again and again. He just says it will happen. But then covenants start like this. This is never how we do a promises now, treaties now. If you sign a contract with someone like to buy a house, you're not going to do this. But this is the way that covenants were made. 
the two parties would collect animals. And you're like, okay. It's really strange that they'd cut the animal in half, and this is what God's telling him to do in this passage. You'd cut the series of animals in half, and you would place the bodies on this side, one half of the body, and the other half of the body on this side, and they would be lumped together. So you got the front end over here, the back end over here, and that's weird. And then the both parties would walk together through the bodies. And the reason is to literally say, this is unto death, this promise. And if either of us do this, like, may we be, like, it's, it's, it's this weird. May we end up like these animals, cut in two, because our word is cut in two and meaning nothing. And so the image here is, is God is now saying, all right, I don't just want this to be a covenant, but I want it to be a sealed covenant done in the way that you know. So cut up animals, and you see the Abraham's like having to, to ward off like the crows, like they're trying to come. And, and he's waiting for God to join him and do his part. And if you continue in this next passage, it says, as the sun was going down, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And it says, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be surgeoners. Sojourners, goodness, in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. He's talking about Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and after they will come out and have great possession. And then verse 15, it says, as for you, your fathers, you will go in peace. And I love this. At verse 17, it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And you're like, what did we just read? What just happened? Quite literally, he's sitting on the ground, slumbering, tired, and he watches as a floating pot with fire and smoke start walking through, I mean, I don't even know, uh, floating through the bodies. What is happening is a beautiful display of God's character that Jesus is also going to take on. Because God knew something very specifically. I choose you, Abraham. I long for relationship with you, Abraham. But I also know you don't have what it takes to walk through these dead bodies. <laughs> because you're not going to be able to hold up your, your end of the bargain but what I will do is I will take both parties. And literally, we see this in Scripture that the smoke represents God's presence during the day and the fire, His glory at night. And like quite literally, day and night, night and day, I will be faithful. You watch and I will make the covenant with you. Regardless of what you're doing, I'm the covenant maker and keeper. This is the exact same thing that Jesus will do because Scripture says at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He decided, while you are ungodly, I'm going to walk through death for you. It's really beautiful. Already, Jesus is setting up my character that you know from the beginning, a God who makes a covenant and a God who acts. I'm going to do the same. 
And now the new covenant, it's really cool. It promises not like that we will have descendants, but that we will have forgiveness, right? It's really cool. And now this is not a, uh, and I love God in doing this. God's not saying, I need you to mix the idea that you're going to be a father of many nations with the lie that you will never have kids. A lot of the times we like to mix the goodness of God with also the lies that we believe and try to find, like, we try to have residence of them both. But God literally is saying, if I speak that you will be a dad, I need you to abandon all belief that you won't be a dad. Does this make sense? I, in fact, when I make this new covenant for you and I go through this, what I need you to do is know without a shadow of doubt that Abram is now Abraham and he is right now the father of many nations. This is something that Abraham had to cognitively do in his heart. Scripture even goes further to say that he had faith, he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. It's really beautiful. That God promised something that had not yet been visibly seen, yet Abraham decided, my whole heart is going to believe that that promise is real, And so I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to think that I'm the father. I'm going to speak like I'm a father of many nations. I'm going to, I'm going to think differently, act differently, behave differently, tell my wife to think, act differently. Like I'm going to now silence the lies that speak against me being father Abraham. So now we go all the way to the covenant where God says through Jesus, this new covenant is one of forgiveness. I'm going to tell you right now, the power of the blood, the reason why God wants us to see it and drink it over and over and over is because he really wants you to see and know and believe that my promise, though you struggle to believe it, though you struggle to see the physical ramifications of my forgiveness, I need you to actively already take the name I'm forgiven. You've been gone from Abram to Abraham. I need you to already believe, walk, stand as a man, a woman, forgiven. Because it happened the moment I had promised it. The moment I promised this new covenant is taking, my blood being shed, you are forgiven. Think of that, though. That, like, literally shapes everything. It demands. It's a promise that ended my old state. I mean, once it was confirmed, once Jesus died, shame, sin ended. This new covenant demands for us to think differently. As a, his promise endures. It demands for me to think. It demands for me to speak differently because I am a forgiven one. I mean, that in and of itself. What if you drank wine knowing that you were a forgiven one? I mean, honestly. Some of you have a relationship with alcohol that is taught to us by the world, that we drink wine because we think that we had a bad day or a long day. Like Jesus, what if, what if we drank wine, the cup of the new covenant is no matter what I do, I do so from the belief that I'm a forgiven one. In all things, it has happened. I am already Father Abraham, but dude, you don't have a son yet. I have a son. No, you don't have a son yet. No, I am Father Abraham. 
Like I, I, now he says, I need you to move into a new place that your, 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 your offspring will inherit. How awkward would it be to move into a place that you don't believe your offspring will inherit? No, he had to move into the place as if he's Father Abraham. This is the new covenant you have. I need you to move into every place knowing I'm a forgiven one. I don't feel forgiven. Our feelings sometimes follow our faith. And sometimes our faith is diminished because we like to follow our feelings. But our feelings will follow faith. You decide and demand and you speak the truth. I am forgiven. I, belief is what accredited righteousness. Faith in Abraham is what made him righteous. Paul will use this text as proof to the Romans who say you should be circumcised or you're not living in in correct way. Paul will use this as proof to say Abraham wasn't righteous because he, he got himself circumcised. He was righteous because he believed. And then out of belief was the beauty of obedience. And so like, there's just this gorgeousness of if I believed I was forgiven, I wonder, I bet my obedience would just demand, give me the authority. Like, this is the moment when you start saying to that sin pattern, no. This is the moment that you now can stand actively saying, I don't have to. This is the moment when shame tries to speak and you just say, go, because I am a forgiven one. I don't have to run into some like other place. I don't have to abandon these anxieties. No, I cast them onto my Savior. I have all authority to walk into the, the throne room at my time of need. That's literally what Scripture says. Again and again, I bring it to Him. I don't run from it. The only time it says to run is to flee temptation. The only time. But the enemy, the shame of the past, there's no reason to run. I take a stand and he flees. I tell shame to go and it can't stay with me. We're forgiven ones. We're forgiven ones. Paul will use that Abraham, it's not obedience that gave him righteousness. It's faith. And we'll come back to this, but the last thing that I want to point out about God's like covenantal pattern is that he loves to do both parts. Right? Like I, I said that, like he, he, Jesus knew you can't die for your own sins. You can't live holy. I'm going to do both parts and make a transformation. And like, it's, it's just gorgeous peace. God knew you won't be able to, so I'll take it. And it ultimately, like to go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, like did God already Think about, as he's crossing through those dead bodies, that one day his son would literally do the death that he knew Abraham could never do. Like, it's just this beautiful imagery of God already showing, I'm not only going to keep my covenant, but upon the fact that the covenant can't be kept by you, I will die for it. Like, already He's setting up the scene for death to come and the covenant to be sealed and a new one to be given. It's beautiful. But now here's the kicker. And I said all these things, the old covenant to the new covenant. I told you there's an external promise and an internal one. 
The promise in ours is not offspring. The promise to ours is not that the, the wrath of God will just hover away from you. Like this is not a, a get out of hell covenant. That, that's not the imagery of this. It's not that the blood of Jesus covers you. But unlike Moses, despite what you've heard, this is a huge theological thing. There is a lie that is spoken at times when we talk about the blood of Christ. And I want to just like speak this. This is huge. This is, this is big. This is like theological ramifications here. That sometimes we perceive Jesus as the mediator. We, th- we hear that the blood covering me as if this imagery that if Jesus were to move, God would see me in this sin that I'm always in. This is the imagery that we sometimes have of the blood covering the door. But can we all be honest? Like, there might have been a bad dad in that home who just happened to obey the Lord in that one moment. He's still sinning, right? So the Holy Spirit passes. The imagery here is huge. Some of us were taught Jesus being the mediator for my sin. It means God only sees Jesus and not me. But then what's the image of you without Jesus? You naturally think broken, fallen, messed up. But when the blood is given, scriptures say that crimson red washes us white as snow. That quite literally, when God looks at you, he doesn't just see Jesus. He sees you hidden in Christ in heavenly places. Can you see the difference of this? In this new covenant, it's not an external covering over your body, as if your flesh is just covered by Jesus' goodness, so you're good to go. No, your soul was changed by the blood. And so now God sees you righteous in Jesus. This is a huge difference because then some of you have, this is that, that chasing after God because if I don't have Jesus at every forefront of my mind, my mind is going to succumb to all of this sin and I'm nearly over it. No, you have Jesus in every part of your life. And so nothing can control you like, you, you, ha- you cannot be separated from him. And so there is no even playing this mind of if God doesn't see Jesus in me, then I'm sin. No, if God doesn't see Jesus in me, then he's not looking at me right now. Right? Like, that's the truth. Like, you are new. This internal, external covenant of the old is now marked internal. And before you wonder if I'm, like, making this up, God foretold of a new covenant in Jeremiah. He said, hey, there's going to be a new covenant. If you want to put it up, this new covenant, he says, that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after those days, I will put my law within them. So it's not going to be a law outside of them anymore, but this is going to be within them. And not only that, I will write it on their hearts. It will be in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and no longer shall they teach one another because now I am in them. There's not going to be some knowledge that someone else has to depart on you. No, the Holy Spirit confirms it in your heart. He's in you. And they will know me from the least 
to the greatest, and I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. The new covenant is internal, reaping eternal benefits. It's really beautiful. This new covenant that we drink in remembrance of speaks that when I believed, I was fundamentally changed by the body of Jesus, by the blood of my Savior, that it didn't cover my home, it didn't cover my flesh as if I'm always just living in sin. No, it shaped me. It isn't that the blood of Jesus overcompensates for my failures. It's in Christ I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He's changed me. I think that the reason why Jesus chose wine, another reason, not just that it, he needed a substance that would be consumed. A substance that looked like blood, that was a liquid that needed to be consumed. Quite literally, the Greeks, the Hebrews, the Jews, at this time, the stomach, the gut, was where your feelings were. The gut was where your, it was the, it was, how do they word it? It was the inner man. It was from the gut that your decisions were made, which is why we say, oh my gut, I have a gut feeling about that. That's a very Jewish mindset because your gut, you feel it in your gut. And so when you consumed the wine, it went in you and now shaped your gut, your inside. And so literally, Jesus is like, I, wine for many reasons, but one of the most basic, it's going in you. I'm not telling you to cover your face with it, like to beautify yourself in my blood. No, I'm putting my blood in you. You are now transformed in you. And it's just beautiful. It's crazy. It's very different. But now think of it like, now if Christ's blood is in me, it demands for a shift change. It will do it. It will change. His goodness does change us. His, his by power does take hold of us. His, his love does start beckoning us to, to do things that we would never do. It's this really beautiful thing, and I just, that's the biggest, if I can tell you, we, we now sit at home, and you overthinkers, are surrounded by people that you would never, I mean, my wife is this one, like, we, we're trying to think of people we'd never be with, and she's, she's better, than me than, better at that than me. She's like, I already got four names that I'm praying for, and I'm like, girl. And so she, we're, we're bringing people into our home, and now we're like going to have conversations. You're overthinking it, right? The truth is just this. You're talking about a God who has given you everything, so why don't we just start having conversations about the things that he, his blood has shifted? Because right from the core of man is my desires. So what if I start talking about the way that the body of Christ has changed my thinking, the blood of Jesus has shaped my desires? What if I start just talking naturally? I speak of a God whose blood transformed everything in me. His life, his sacrifice made me new. He's given me hope. And it's not a hope on external things like the world. I hope in a new job. No, I hope. And it's inside. These are just very practical things that we start bringing up because the blood is practical. 
It has shaped my desire, my internal self. It has shaped my gut. It has shaped my intentions, my will. And it's beautiful. But to go back to that revolving door, I just, I want to pray for the heart in the room who constantly is fearing that any decision will determine their identity. And there's just the power of the blood has already determined your identity. And so now there's an authority that we can walk in to be people of the Spirit. Because think of how practically as we end this. If I'm forgiven, I can freely forgive. If I've had things loosened, now Jesus says, you loosen burdens. You step on strongholds. You demolish them. And if the enemy keeps you in fear of what God has already shifted, then he does a really good job at keeping us quiet when God says, hey, speak freedom to someone. Speak forgiveness over. So very practically, God's like, whenever you eat of this, whenever you drink of this, I need you to remember me because you're a sheep and we know what sheep are like. We're forgetful. And I need a constant reminder that God's forgiveness is not just to to forgive me, but his forgiveness, this new covenant, now all authority, Jesus says, on heaven, now I forgive others. Now I, I embark on a ministry of reconciliation. At your, the table that you sit in, at your job place, you now have the ability in freedom act as a forgiven person. Which a forgiven person begins to do the crazy stuff, like to forgive to show grace, to turn the other cheek, to not act like anything that occurs is a damaging to them. Because I'm a forgiving person, you can't actually do anything that damages me. So I'm not going to respond to that. A forgiven person begins to shift everything that they do. I am Father Abraham, right? Like, does that make sense? It starts practically like implying on all things. And so as we get into this, I just want to make this, ca- this challenge. You've got two weeks left. And if you're annoyed that your, your church is challenging you to do things, you're just going to be annoyed all year, okay? Because like, you have to realize that there, God likes order. Not only that, dad naturally in a home, parents like to set up, hey, this is what we're going to do today. Like my son, he, he likes to think that he gets to determine his meal. And we're like, who put the food in the fridge? Like we did. We determined. You can eat freely from what we have. And I think the beautiful thing is you have asked, you have desired a local body. So the beautiful thing about that is now as a local body, I get to submit myself under an advisory board who, who, who now believes and, and casts vision as to what's going. But you also you submit yourself under these rhythms that we're sitting in. And so a cool way that you can be obedient to the Lord is by just saying yes to some of these crazy things. And really, how crazy is it for you to do the gospel? Invite people into your home. So take that feeling, that gut feeling in the flesh, and say no to it. Because, I mean, it's going to keep going. We're going to have, I mean, every month is going to have some challenges with it. 
some active challenges of how we live in the rhythms of the kingdom. And we're going to have to do this together. So let's just do it. Already put it on your calendar. You got two weeks left. Who are you going to invite? How's it going to go? Maybe we're going to make royal mess-ups of ourselves. Maybe you're going to say an awkward thing and hope that you take it back, like, and you want to pull those words back in your mouth. But we're going to do it together. So God, in this place, I just pray right now for the heart that that's lies constantly um, fear being alone. May they realize the power of the blood has changed their alone self. God, I pray for the heart that is constantly, it, they just expect passivity to come. They expect that sin to set in. They've tried so hard, and their idea of righteousness is if they could go three months without fill in the blank. But Father, will you remind their heart every time they drink the fruit of the vine, that what you did on the cross has already shaped their righteousness. It was the moment that they first believed that they were made clean. Not the next time that they go four weeks sober. It is your presence that shifted them. Father, I just pray right now for the power of the blood to embolden people. God, I'm not blind to the fact that in our day and age, we don't like to be very visible. But in our day and age, like, violence is very visible. Works of the enemy are very visible. So God, I just ask, like the apostles when they were praying in the book of Acts, I really pray that our church would begin praying for boldness. Boldness to speak of the love that has shaped them. Boldness to call people to see a Savior who gave their life for them. Boldness to start turning down temptations. Boldness to stand in authority in their homes to make decisions in the workplace. Boldness to, to decide to pray instead of complain. Boldness. In your name, Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.